カハンニャハラミタシンギョウ Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. I love a day of practice, and today is, just happens to be also auspicious because it's sitting for scholarship as a way of reaching out to our communities and letting them know about what the Zen Center does. And I find it actually a really important part of our practice is extending beyond what we're comfortable doing. So we've been asked and to reach out to our community and let them know like, what we're doing here and how are we supporting that. How do we move out of our self-centered preoccupation about what we like and what we don't like? And extending and realizing, you know, many people have lots of issues around money. Giving money, feeling like we don't have enough money. Some like very interesting statistics that like most of the philanthropic money is like given by people who have less than $50,000 or something like that. So it doesn't mean that you have to have a lot, but it's about that kind of generosity of spirit and mind. And for me, there's a reason why Dana Paramita is the first Paramita for our practice. Paramita meaning a perfection, something to like really focus on. And it really, without it, it's very hard to continue. So yesterday in our, was the 52nd day of our commit to sit. And the reflection was, how does your self-preoccupation isolate you? So how does even like our own kind of mind of poverty isolate you? Not just about resources, but also about belonging and showing up. I remember maybe a couple of years ago, I went to two funerals kind of almost back to back I remember one funeral, the person talking about the person and saying like, oh, you know, they had a lot of beliefs, 
that they felt really strongly about, but you know, they didn't really live a life according to those beliefs. And I remember the other funeral was the opposite in a certain way, like, wow, that you really felt by everything that they said and did, like they were completely right there. What they said they cared about, they showed up for. So it was not some idea. And so to me, it's about that, always to me, the, the value is about how do you get clear about what we value in this practice and how do your thoughts, words, and actions match that. It's not enough that it's just our role. It's how you inhabit it. It's very powerful. So she had been, has been talking about Ayama Roshi about endeavor, and then here she's kind of moving from that. She said, the opposite of endeavor is self-indulgence. Me. And she says, as I explained before, she's always very clear. <laughs> and it's very generous with her restating. Self-indulgence is based on delusion. So our idea of separateness and not having enough is often just based on delusion. You must eliminate, she says, all thoughts of what you would like to do. Some of you might have heard me talk about preferences before. and devote all of your energy right here and now to the role assigned to you. And to me, what's so moving about that is that in many ways, we're assigning our role to ourselves. Much of my life, I feel like, is actually because of how I embodied or didn't embody certain qualities in certain relationships. And as I've talked a lot about, you know, that, you know, my practice was very self-preoccupied for a good 10 years. And it was very frustrating. Because even though I wasn't thinking about others, I was waiting for others to actually recognize me even though I thought I was thinking about others. Ever had that experience? 
But it really doesn't even matter what we say. It really matters what we do. You know, as those cliches are often really true, the proof is in the pudding. How we show up is everything. It's like that you, you know, I've heard this many times before, but it's just so interesting. Like you can't eat a menu. Well, maybe you could. might not be that interesting. So when that moment happened for me, when I realized how deeply self-preoccupied I was without realizing for 10 years that I was deeply self-preoccupied, <laughs> <laughs> I began this practice, which is very related to today. So I thought for a few years, I should just ask for Donna for all the practice that I did. So all the retreats I did for several years, I would actually write letters, remember? So that just means I'm old. So in the old days, people used to write letters. Remember letters? <laughs> Some of the young people don't remember. In ancient times, there were letters in a post box. <laughs> You'd post a letter. But it was a really wonderful and challenging process. And some people liked it, and some people didn't like it. for the first year or so, like I really didn't like it. And it was just so interesting about how much I didn't like it. And actually, because I was doing these very, Chodo and I were both doing these extended long retreats that were, you know, a chunk of change. And it was so valuable. But it really began to change how I practice because actually when I, when I was at those retreats, I realized that I was not alone. That I was actually there because all of these different people were supporting me actively, which is actually what's always true. It's just a really, maybe, very important way of experiencing them. Unless you're like a little house on the prairie person who's growing your own food and darning your socks and all of that, you're probably reliant on lots of people. Even little house on the prairie people were reliant on other people. So it's this great delusion of separateness, of closing our eyes 
when we're actually shutting out the vast cosmos of the world. Because of some old suffering, and I know is going to be talking about the text from today, about plum blossoms harmonizing with snow in the afternoon, about how often we can just, like Oyama Roshi is talking about, that how often we can kind of say, oh, the conditions aren't right. There's snow. And so we forget to smell the fragrance of the plum blossom. I'm too busy. I'm overwhelmed. Or we're really into some old story about how we don't belong and how we don't know how to belong. And, or we feel like we don't have enough to give or what we have to give is not enough. <laughs> to me, I often just think about it, like when I'm thinking about myself and actual um, financial giving, it's like, can I give a little bit more? Can I give a little bit more? Am I really stretching myself? Am I really in this, is this gift really matching what I care about? Or is it like a little token? It's interesting. How do you think about it? How do you get interested and engage with that? Actually, <laughs> this is your life. For me, I realized that my self-preoccupation just really I thought this area of the shape of my body was my life. <laughs> and mostly, like what my brain was saying was my life, in particular, my preferences. What I liked, what I didn't like. At a certain point, it's kind of wonderful just to say, that's enough of that. How do I show up? Yesterday, she brought this poem to us called Cleaning Rack, which I really enjoy. I feel like it's so much like our practice. Michio Mado is the poet. 
The poet writes, when I came back home on a rainy day, a cleaning rag was waiting for me at the entrance of the hall. I'm a cleaning rag, it said, with a friendly kind of look. Although though it hadn't wanted to become one. Until quite recently, it had been a shirt. It was as soft as my skin. Maybe in America or somewhere, it had been a cotton flower, smiling in the sun, in the wind. This beautiful poem. I didn't want this to be happening. Dot, 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 dot. It would be fun to actually just hear like all the things that you would put in the dot, 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 have a little go around. I wish this wasn't happening, dot, dot, dot. I wish I was being experienced this way instead of that way, fill in the blank. It would be like a mad libs of suffering. I probably should do it. Ayamaro, she says, the misery in my face shows that I would much rather be a shirt than a cleaning rack. So it's like that, it's visible, right? It shows. Your attitude shows in what we do and how we are. Doesn't mean to do anything perfectly. But saying, yes, this is my thing. This is my jam. I'm responsible, you're responsible. The misery in my face, she says. I love how generous she is in general. She shares her deep imperfection. The misery in my face shows that I would much rather be a shirt in a cleaning rack. Have you, so how do you have that compassion for that part of you that wishes it would be different? I wish I could be more generous. I wish I was, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. And it does matter. It's easy to complain. Anyone have trouble complaining? <laughs> Sason, any trouble complaining? <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Me neither. <laughs> and yet I find it more and more so draining. Yesterday 
actually Chodo and Lou and I were in a conversation, and just like, and I just found it like draining. I found myself complaining, and I just was like drained, felt drained and exhausted by it. Ah. I just felt like that. Ah, 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 ah. And I was so happy to feel attuned to that. Like, wow, when I'm doing that, when I'm just wishing that I was not a cleaning rag, it's very draining. And it really, and what I also noticed is how affected, in this case, Lou and Chota. Like, I was just noticing that my tanking energy also the, how that affects others. So interesting. And so important to take responsibility for that. So if we're just like kind of a complaint department, how that impacts the people around you. And to me, it's, it's much easier to complain, as we know, than to actually make change. And to me, what this practice is actually about is making change, engaging in change. And really seeing how our impact, how we impact each other. And don't have to do it perfectly, but to actually to do it in a way that like to be interested. Huh. Because that happens in groups. You can get into a whole group like it becomes like a little complaint group. Ever been in a complaint group? Just one person on screen. <laughs> it's and just, I'd encourage you, the next time that happens, just like, see what your body feels like. And how different your body and mind feel when you're in a group that's actually saying, okay, okay. The generosity of noticing it and like creating solutions and actually not have, and taking responsibility for the situation. And to me, that's what our practice can do. Not that we'll ever do it perfectly. Because as far as I know, we're human. And to me, this is, as Ayama Roshi says, is to perform one's role in life. Our role in life is actually to fully participate. To be as generous, to not hold back, to re like, to come back to one, come back home to our breath so that we're not just in a reaction. So that we can nourish life for the short little blip of time that we have. So I'm just feeling very grateful to our team here at the Zen Center and our Sangha.
for all of us showing up to say this matters. And I would encourage you, as I will encourage myself, to think about, could I actually be a little bit more generous? Because there's still time. And so, and also think about what that generosity could look like. It is the first paramita and is the most important. How can you get generous, like actually use this day to actually pivot into a practice of generosity going forward? With your body, speech, and mind. Thank you. So good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm here in the Zendo and there on the Zoomdo, here in the Wando. Yeah. All you lucky people being up there in your air-conditioned apartments and homes while we're down here with our 92 de 95 degrees in the, in the city. So uh, my heart doesn't bleed for you. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. So it's such a treat to be here on a day like today. Uh, we have some AC in here, and to be sitting for a very special occasion, Asit Scholarship. We're on day 53 of our Commit to Sit, 53 of 90 days. And uh, from today's reading, Plum blossoms are all the more beautiful when the branches are covered with snow. They perfume the winter air. As I gazed out at some, I recalled the saying of an ancient sage. A branch of plum blossoms harmonizes fragrantly with snow. Instead of succumbing to severe winter weather, they exude the fragrance look noble in their garland of snow and flourish. Consider this. Plum blossoms that bloom in a greenhouse have no resistance to cold and have no fragrance. Vegetables grown outside, exposed to the wind and rain, are much more delicious than those grown in a greenhouse. The same may be said of human beings. What helps us to enrich and make us strong is not favorable. I'll read that again. The same may be said of human beings. What helps to enrich us and make us strong is not favorable circumstances, but failure misfortune and illness. So all the stuff that we think, you know, I think Koshin spoke this morning about preferences, all the stuff that we think we don't want and we get anyway, if we, if we battle those moments, those, uh, yeah, those moments in our lives, those, those terms in our life, if we battle with those, then we create more suffering for ourselves. And 
working through difficulties and uh, hopefully sometimes hopefully illnesses and circumstances not favorable circumstances when we work through these they make us stronger make us more resilient perhaps make us appreciate our life more what matters most is how we manage misfortune So I'm going to dedicate this talk today to Marcy Pomerantz, who, uh, this is the fourth day of her passing. Uh, she was a member of Coming to Terms, our group that I co-facilitate with Dine-In, another of our Sangha members. And it's a group for folks who have been diagnosed with terminal illness. And um, I think I mentioned this in another talk, last year we started off with 12 people. We're now down to five, six. Um, the others have died beautifully, bravely, with great, great, great uh, grace. You know, it's, been a, it's a group that nurtures each other on the journey. Uh, from the time they joined the group, some of them have already you know, been rather ill for quite a while. But when they joined the group, they are. Uh, they enter into this beautiful, beautiful circle of love and support. And so, um, anyway, Marcy, um, was diagnosed with her illness, I think, four years ago. So she's been very brave and, uh, and very resilient. Um, so over the past 18 months when she joined us, she was at practically every meeting every week. And she would zoom in from the radiation suite or from her hospital bed. She had been readmitted to, um, into hospital because of serious side effects from the new chemo uh, trials that she was, she was on. Um, she was like an incredibly brave, brave woman. And then she would come in, you know, she'd been throwing up all morning, she'd been shitting herself, and then just going through all these serious side effects so that she could be with one of her sons who's getting married actually in the fall. So uh, she didn't make it for, for his wedding. But she was very uh, sardonic, you know, because everyone in the group said, we're going to get a new outfit for the, for the wedding. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to jinx it. So if she said, if I live long enough, I'll buy an outfit the day before. <coughs> She was the one that always presented herself on the bright side. You know, she was kind of like the, the cheerleader. The generosity of a smile. We're talking about generosity today. I'm talking about dana. We're talking about giving and receiving. And it was the generosity of her smile, her warm and encouraging words. To the rest of the group when listening to their struggles. Even when she was exhausted. That was a gift to us all. Even when she was exhausted and could barely get out of bed. She had this smile and she was, she was a writer and um, had a beautiful uh, grasp of the English language. She loved poetry. 
So there was always something, there was always some kind of nice capping phrase. So we used to talk about it in Zen. She was such a beautiful, beautiful soul. And um, yeah. And none of us realized just how sick she was because she was so kind of just, I'm here. You know? So we were all in total shock last Thursday when her, one of her three sons called and said that she had died Wednesday. And she was in, surrounded by her three sons and her husband and other family members. And, you know, oftentimes when someone dies, we're in shock, you know, it's like, boom, but this was so sudden. You know, so just two weeks ago, she was, you know, checking in, looking great. You know, she'd lost her hair, she was wearing a wig, but she's looking great. And uh, two weeks later, dead, suddenly. Suddenly, over the last five years, you know, with the advance of cancer. But th those moments when, you know, people, I mean, we all thought she's going to make it for the wedding. Let's just hope she gets through the summer to be with her son when he gets married, but that wasn't to be. So we're all going to miss Marcy terribly. And perhaps our gift to her is the remembering of what an incredibly brave soul she was. And may her blessing be a memory. Or maybe, may her memory be a blessing. So I'm not Jewish, I'm only part Jewish, I'm half Jewish. So her blessing be a memory, maybe her blessings, oh, here we go, I'm gonna get out of this. Maybe her blessings to us be a memory, and may her memory be a blessing. Pretty good. So forgive me. Hmm. A branch of plum blossoms harmonizes fragrant, fragrantly with the snow. Instead of succumbing to severe winter weather, they exude their fragrance look and look noble in their garland of snow and flourish. They perfume the winter air. What a gift. So looking outside of her window, the snow, cold winter, to see these plum blossoms covered in snow and to recognize the beauty. And that the snow, the winter snow, resting on the plum blossom, excuse, excuse this fragrance. Right? It's not going to do it without the snow. How beautiful these two work in harmony. So not, to, not just seeing the winter weather, the cold, but seeing the beauty that can happen. It's kind of like New York City when it snows and the ground is covered. And New York City goes from this stinky, dirty, potholed kind of, I guess we're talking about Manhattan, potholed roads and stinky sidewalks to this beautiful, beautiful blanket of white. You know, and snow doesn't discern, it just covers everything. The dog shit, the litter, 
such a beautiful, beautiful moment of uh, living in Manhattan. Zen Master Hakuen wrote on a scroll, welcome the great bodhisattvas of hell. Welcome the great bodhisattva of hell. In uh, China, in Chinese, the bodhisattva of hell was Kshitigarbha. We know them as Jizo. We have Jizo on the back altar there. We've spoken about Jizo many times, the uh, bodhisattva who is the protector of women and children and travelers. And his name may be translated as earth treasury, earth store, or earth womb. And as, along with his, uh, their job of going and pr protecting women, children, and travelers, and going down into the hell realms to bring out those who are suffering. The hell realms between the, the death of the Buddha and the birth of Maitreya, the, the coming Buddha, those six worlds coming down into hell. He's regarded as the uh, most popular uh, divine deity in Japan, Osama Buddha, Osama Jizo Buddha, Osama Sama, Osama Jizo Bodhisattva, Shishi, yeah, Ojizo Sama, yeah, Ojizo Sama. So welcome the great bodhisattva of hell. Because we're all living in some way, shape, or form in a hell realm sometimes. And how do we allow that bodhisattva in to deliver us from those hell realms? How do we allow for a possibility that things might be different? Things could be different. This year has felt, in some ways, for me like a hell realm. Started in January with surgery for a hernia, then a knee replacement, like in March, and now uh, some kind of medical issue. Um, it took Koshin and I to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital for some tests. So we met this amazing doctor, thanks to Anshin and his referral, uh, who, who himself, this bodhisattva of the, hell, of the hell realms, this amazing doctor, it's so funny, talking about certain body parts, you know, um, and we had so much fun with him. And he couldn't believe that we were these two Buddhist monks. Who, uh, you know me and my reverence. He was trying to explain very subtly what was going to happen, and I very clearly turned that coin <laughs> into something rather uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Inappropriate. <laughs> and this great doctor blushed and laughed, and he's like, you know what? This is so much fun. Um, anyway, we're, we're, he's not alarmed by what's happening, so we'll see in a couple of weeks. Um, it's just a, another, I think, another rite of passage as we get older. Uh, as I get older, it's another rite of passage. You know, certain ailments. Hmm. And perhaps because of all these ups and downs that I've been experiencing, I'm noticing and appreciating just a little bit more the gifts of the past seven months. The new apartment that we can see daylight through the windows. Um, last night, walking to Chelsea Market from our apartment down 9th Avenue, nipping into Chelsea Market before it closed, and buying this huge dairy, full of dairy and full of sugar ice cream, so maybe this big. And sitting down thinking, you know what? I don't care about the diet. I don't care about, you know, acid reflux. This is my life. This is it. I'm going to enjoy this ice cream. So Koshin and I sat and just, I, I had a double portion. <laughs> and I do that thing that's really annoying to uh, baristas in, if they're called baristas, in ice cream. Uh, stores, I say, can I taste that one? Like, can I taste that one? Can I taste this one? And they're like, you have to buy one eventually. <laughs> um, so I have so much fun doing that. Um, anyway, and then walking home along the High Line. You know, what a blessing. You know, to be able to walk down to Chelsea Market, buy ice cream, and then walk home on the High Line. So it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful be able to appreciate the gift of that. You know, all those gifts, being able to do that, where so many people are unable to enjoy those gifts, to enjoy those, uh, yeah, something about hedonistic, but I can't think what it is, something like that. Um, but to enjoy those moments of complete indulgence. Koshin spoke this morning of the different ways in which generosity can be manifested. The first parameter is not just about money. How can we show generosity through our actions? Hmm? Dana is the act of giving and receiving. It's not a one-way transaction. When I give you a gift, you're receiving it is dana. That's a gift to me. I give you something, you receive it as a gift. You're receiving it as a gift to me. It's reciprocation. This is what dana is. This is what the first parameter is talking about. It's not talking about, as I said, it's not a, a financial transaction only. It's the gift of receiving, it's reciprocation in all its forms. Even when we don't see, sometimes, 
the gift that it is. So we're sitting this morning today for scholarship money. And yes, that is financial transaction. But think about it. I'm sitting for all that you donated. I'm sitting for that, to say thank you. I'm sitting for the people who will receive the scholarship money, who will be able to join us in classes, on retreat. This is what the scholarship money will go towards. And thank you for the team for doing this once again this year. Isaac's here and a couple of you on the screen. And Hayako-san, uh, who else am I seeing? So many of you in the DEIJ group. When we show up to sit, when we show up to sit, when we come here in the evenings, when you're there on the Zoom dome in the middle of the day or the evening, this is an act of generosity too. For most of us, it's much easier to sit zazen in community than to sit alone, most of us. So we're giving each other the gift of turning up. Everyone here this morning sitting to support each other. Everyone on the Zoom door. Helping each of us sit zazen. Giving and receiving. That's all I got. That's all I've got to give you right now. Truth be told, I've lost a page of my talk. <laughs> and maybe that's the gift. That you all have much more time to sit Zaza. You don't have to listen to me talk anymore. What a gift to you. It's kind of who I am, so generous, just giving, giving, giving. <laughs> Yoshin's laughing. So, what a gift to receive all of you on the screen and all of you in here today. And continue on with this practice. Continue on with the gift of this practice. And I think of Marcy and her death. And I think of the gift of each breath that we bring into the body. Our Zazen is all about 
in-breath, out-breath, in-breath, out-breath. Don't take that in-breath for granted. You don't know if there will be another one. Each inhale is a gift.